0: Well, at this time, it's my joy to invite uh, Russ Wilson to come No, not the quarterback from the Seahawks. I was told that was a joke. I have no nothing about football. They said, where were the jokes about the Seahawks? I said, I don't know anything about the Seahawks. I'm a horrible sports fan. I don't know if you know that, but uh, Russ Wilson, not the quarterback, but maybe kind of like a quarterback in the future, we'll see. Uh, He's a pastoral candidate for our executive pastor role, and so he's going to be sharing from God's Word with us this morning, and he's kicking off our Advent series, which is called Expecting, Awaiting the God of the Unexpected. Advent means to wait for, to have anticipation of the coming of something, and of course, as Christians... The anticipation is the coming of God's son, Jesus himself, is what those first people, those saints in the book of Luke were waiting for. But you know, we, we come to this season as well with a set of expectations usually, a set of hopes, desires. We want, you know, if we're families uh, with children, we want to just throw them the best Christmas ever. And yet we know that our expectations, our desires, our longings are often interrupted by well by real life actually. And maybe they're interrupted as well by what God is doing that we didn't see coming but he knows exactly what he's doing. And so this morning we're going to jump into that Advent hope and really really grateful to have you here, Russ. let me just let's just take a moment we'll pray for him as he uh, as he brings the word God we thank you so much for our brother Russ and um, for this process that we're in as a church. We, God, we want what you want for us and for him, and so we just ask for your leading and guiding. And Father, as he, as he preaches this morning, we pray that we would hear your voice uh, through this text, through the work of your spirit, and through what's been prepared. And we pray this in Jesus' name, expectant of hearing you. Amen. Amen. I am a sports fan, and I understand your
1: disappointment if you are a sports fan. So I have disappointed many people, believe me, especially when I'm crossing the border. And uh, they look down either at my passport or whatever. Then they look up quickly and they go, "Oh." And so, um, and then they ask me, "Can I tell my friends that I've met Russell Wilson?" Though, and I said, "Yeah, go ahead and go ahead and lie and tell them that you've met Russell Wilson." And so, uh, I've uh, some people even asked for my autograph. And so, yes, um, and they say they've met Russell Wilson. I said, "Yeah, go ahead and yeah, tell them you've met Russell Wilson because you have met Russell Wilson, not the Russell Wilson. Although I am the Russell Wilson because that's my name." Um, but anyway, uh, and then they asked me if I'm a Seahawks fan. I said, no, actually, I can't stand the Seattle Seahawks. And they go, what? So, well, sorry, I just don't like them. But um, anyway, that's a whole other issue altogether. But um, uh, it's great to be here. I'm glad to be here. Uh, looking forward to uh, what God has in store for us under this idea, this picture of expecting. Um, especially when we think about this God who does so often the unexpected as we're going to look into Luke chapter 1 and see this uh, young girl, young lady is Mary and how she was blown away by this God who did the unexpected. Well, let me just start off by saying um, last week as I stood in Mary's hometown of Nazareth, I was struck by the smallness of Nazareth. I was leading a tour to Israel and uh, had the opportunity to actually be in the city of Nazareth. It is a bustling, uh, regular city nowadays, but they have recreated the actual uh, village of Nazareth, um, bringing us back to to what it would be like when Mary was there. And so uh, they've excavated and... uh, made uh, what it would be like to uh, be in that particular time frame. And so they've got like a weaver's shop and a carpenter's shop, and they've got an olive press uh, trying to get you to have a sense of what it would have been like in that particular time when Mary was alive and had that um, amazing visitation by the angel. Now, if we were to go back at that point in time, I, I just... Uh, was leading my tour and and, um, standing there and I I stood and I I thought, man, I I stood in the village, the recreated village, and and I was struck by a couple of things. I was struck by the smallness of Nazareth. There's nothing significant about it. Then I was also struck by the smallness of Mary. Wondering about her. Thinking about why? Why would God choose Nazareth? And I don't know that we have an answer to that question. There's there's no point to Nazareth. It's it's Nowheresville, really. If if you think of that point in time in history, you would think, well. It would have to be Jerusalem if you're going to make a big splash. I mean, Rome was the big, big place, but that's the secular perspective. From a biblical or a, a Jewish perspective, you think Jerusalem would be the place you're going to bring the Messiah, but God didn't choose Jerusalem. He chose Nazareth. And why would he choose Mary? I'm not sure that we have a complete answer to that question either, although we may have a partial answer if we look in our text in Luke chapter 1. If you're familiar with the story at all, you are going to hear some familiar things to the story that you've heard before if you've come to church for any length of time. Uh, if you've never been in church or this is new to you, you, you may be surprised and, and you may wonder about God a little bit. And, and that's encouraging. I want us to wonder about God. I think it's good for us to wonder about God. And um, if you're new to this, you may think, wow, what an outlandish story. And it is an Atlantic story, but it's not a story. It's a true, factual happening. And sometimes when we think of Christmas from the traditional idea of it, we can use that word story and think, well, it was just made up. But no, it's not made up. This is is biblical fact that we're looking at this morning. And so let me read for us the story. From Luke chapter 1, and if you've got your Bibles or your devices, I invite you to turn with me, and we'll refresh ourselves and remind ourselves of what actually took place, and again, biblical fact, all right? Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. We're reminded by Luke, who says this. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. then the angel left her. Well, let's work through an outline here that I hope will help us through what happened then and what can possibly happen now. And due to the theme of the series being um, expecting and and yet dealing with this God who is often from an unexpected perspective, he gets involved in things. I want to use the root word expect throughout my, out, my outline and you watch for it as we work our way through the message and I just want to make several observations using that root word expect. Well, my first observation is this, that Mary's story of expecting starts very simply as it should with God and it happens in the very first verse that we're looking at. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Starts with God. God sent. God sent. So Mary, Mary was actually simply expecting to get married to Joseph. We see that in verses 26-27. That was normal. Uh, there was nothing unusual about Mary. We can't find anything historically, all the scholars don't have anything to say about Mary being uh, some uh, outstanding character, some outstanding young woman, uh, nothing unusual about Mary at all. She was simply following the cultural norms of her society in this little place of Nazareth, which was nothing outstanding about Nazareth at all. Mary was just the normal girl doing normal things at her point in time in history. She was betrothed to Joseph. Normal. But it all starts with God, because God sends Gabriel. So what Mary was expecting, however, in her normal life, was about to radically change. Why? Well, because God got involved. God sent the angel Gabriel, and so we read in verses 28 and verse 30 that this angel... Has a message. And it says in verse 28, the angel went to her, sent by God, right? We found that out. They had to start it started with God. And in verse 28, it says, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. And then in verse 30, again, we read the same kind of wording. It says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Two different times, the angel tells Mary that she is favored by God. Well, we need to take stock and stop right there and examine the truth of that greeting. You see, Mary's expectations are about to radically change here. That's true. But at the same time, another truth here is that God loves Mary. So we got this one hand. Mary's life is about to radically change because an angel is sent the visitor. That's obvious. But at the same time, there's this other reality is that um, Mary... Is loved by God, and then Gabriel announces that not only is God with her, but she's found favor with God. But let's unpack that for just a few moments. My assumption is is that when you hear that phrase, "You've found favor with God," that that sounds like really, really, really good news. You found favor with God. In other words, like, wow, wow! Now the road is going to be really good and easy. You found favor with God. All of the mountains are going to be smoothed out. All of the hard times are now going to become easy. You found favor with God, and so, wow, life is going to be a peach now. Well, if we unpack that and do a biblical sort of overview of others who have quote-unquote found favor with God, we'll discover that, well, our idea of finding favor with God and the biblical understanding of finding favor with God may not actually match up. Because I would like to think that if I found favor with God, that that means that man, that's like riding easy street from my perspective. Well, that is my perspective. That's not really the biblical perspective. You go back and you look at the prophets who have been chosen by God. True. But being chosen by God doesn't necessarily mean that you get to ride the easy street. Because they were chosen by God to give a message to Israel or Judah, but that message often wasn't well received, and that didn't mean that they had an easy time just because they were chosen by God. They often had a hard time, a very difficult time, even though they were chosen by God. In the New Testament, there was this guy named Saul who ended up with his name changed to Paul, and uh, in Acts chapter 9, we see that um, he has this encounter with God. And that's a good thing because his life is radically changed. He discovers that Jesus actually is the Messiah and he has his heart and life changed. And so then God calls this other, uh, servant of his, Ananias, to go and meet with Paul and, and or Saul. And, and Ananias says, no wait, that Saul's a really, really bad guy. And, and God says to Ananias, no, I want you to go and meet with him. And so in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it says, the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen. Hear that? Chosen. God has chosen Saul. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. God has chosen Saul for a very very specific role in the early church. Ananias doesn't want to go and meet with him, and God says, No, no, Ananias, you're going to go because I have chosen Saul. That sounds like a very good thing. Now listen to the next verse. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow. Chosen and suffering, one verse after the other. Mary has found favor with God. The fact that you have the blessing of God in your life and are chosen by God does not mean that it's an easy road. So the second observation I want to give to you is that Mary was just wise enough to expect some changes, and we find that in verses 29 through verse 34. So she's got some spiritual depth to her life. This isn't some surface kind of woman. This is a woman, a young girl, who's got some spiritual depth to her. So in verse 29, we read this. Mary was greatly troubled at his words from Gabriel and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So there's some depth here to this woman. And so the angel says to her, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. Same phrase again that was in verse 28. And you will be with child and you will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now the angel is deepening the encounter with her. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. So she's troubled for good reason." Much has been made about the age of Mary, like she was some kind of young, uh, immature woman who who, uh, doesn't know what's going on in life. Well, at this point in history, it's true that she was young, but that doesn't mean immature. We can't impose our cultural norms upon their cultural norms. Young, yes. Immature, no. She was following the cultural norms of her day and age, so she wasn't an exception to her culture. She was normal to her culture. And the angel then gives her the life-changing news in verses 30 through to 33. But let's just walk through first century Nazareth at this point in time. I just was there, as I shared with you in my introduction. The village, very small, maybe, maybe 20 to 30 families. They didn't live on acreages at this point in time. What they were living in was houses that would be built one right next to the other. They were, they were attached to each other. And so just imagine with me. Mary's out there. She has a visit with the angel. So we're jumping ahead here in these verses. And, and, and let's just uh, jump ahead to the, the Gabriel's left. So Mary gets the news. She has heard from Gabriel that she is with child. Imagine with me. This is a young girl who is simply at this point in time betrothed. They haven't had the wedding ceremony yet. She's going back into the village. For centuries, or for, for, for a long, 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 long time, the Jewish people have been waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Like I said, Nazareth is nowheresville in Israel. And now this young girl who is of no note, Mary, and she's going to go and walk into her village and tell mom and dad, hey, guess what? Have I got news for you, mom? Number one, I'm pregnant. What have you and Joseph been doing? Oh, no. No, it's got nothing to do with Joseph. I was talking to an angel. He told me. You were talking to who? This is news that a young girl is talking to her mom about. And she tells her mom that she's been talking to an angel and that she's pregnant, and not only is she pregnant, but she's carrying the long-awaited Messiah in her womb. Now, I I don't know. It could be that in this little town of Nowheresville called Nazareth, that maybe they've got the most open-minded group of people that have ever lived on the face of the earth. Maybe they're just willing to absolutely believe young Mary who is as normal as the day is long and they're just willing to swallow what Mary's about to say and say, oh yeah, Mary, that's, yeah, sure. And you say it's the Messiah. That's great. Boy, we can't wait to tell all the other villagers that our daughter is carrying the Messiah. I mean, just imagine how well that's going to go over in this little village of 20 to 30 families of Nowheresville, Nazareth, that the Messiah is in our daughter's womb, who, by the way, is still a virgin and has never had relations with a man, ever. That has never happened before in human history. Imagine. Just imagine. Wow. Wow. The whispers, the disbelief, the name-calling must have been constant. And so Mary, in verse 34, as she's heard this news from the angel, she simply then says, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She just has a question, one question for the angel. Not bad, not bad. It's here where we get some of the heart and the character of Mary. Mary's obviously, she's got a heart like her upcoming Savior, Jesus, that she's going to be born in, in nine months' time or so. But we see that she's got this heart that, that God has chosen her for this very role. And, and it's quite amazing that she accepts the information that the angel gives to her and says, I just got a question. It's a logical question. It's an understandable question. And so my third observation is this. I think the angel actually expected some questions at this point in time because in verses 35 to 37, we don't see the angel upset with Mary at all. Look what he says to her. So then the angel answered. There's not a tone of him being upset. Well, why don't you believe me or anything else? This is the angel answered. He says, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, And then he digresses off to another story. He says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. And then he gives this incredible statement in verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. The answer is kind of interesting. A few things to keep in mind. God is pleased with Mary. This has never happened before, and it's never going to happen again. Gabriel tells this normal girl that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her. The power of the Most High will overshadow her. The child's going to be holy. And so she's getting some answers, but not really the answer that she wants, I suspect. And Then Gabriel deviates to this whole other situation that Mary knows nothing about. And Then Gabriel gives her the answer that is the answer to absolutely every. It's the answer that changes everything for Mary as well as for you and I this morning. There's two places I visited while I was recently in Israel that reminded me about this truth. One was Mount Carmel and the other was the Valley of Elah. If you know your Bible, Mount Carmel will ring a bell. There's this guy named Elijah. And he had this battle up on top of Mount Carmel. And there's these prophets called Baal and Asherah. And they uh, decided to have a battle with Elijah on whose God was the greatest. And Elijah said, okay, let's do it. And the prophets of Baal had an pro- opportunity. And Elijah said, okay, I tell you, you call your God. And, and if he can light your sacrifice on fire, then, then you win. And so he gave them the opportunity. And they had all day long to call their God. And they screamed and yelled and everything. And finally, by noon hour, he said, I don't think you're yelling loud enough. Maybe your God went off on vacation." Maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe he's uh, uh, just away a little while. He says, why don't you yell a little louder? And I kind of like Elijah because he had a bit of attitude. And he said, scream louder. And so they screamed and they started cutting themselves. and They did all kinds of things. And finally, by late in the afternoon, around supper time, he said, enough. Obviously, your God isn't really a God. And he said, shut it down. It's my turn. And he got his sacrifice ready. And he said, I'm going to pour water on my sacrifice. He said, pour more water on it. And he drenched the sacrifice until it was soaking wet. And then he finally said, God, light it up. And God lit that sacrifice up, and it burned and consumed the entire thing. It consumed the stones that the sacrifice was on. Because, you see, Elijah had this belief that he served a God who could do the impossible. And we stood on top of Mount Carmel where that sacrifice took place. And then went to another place called the Valley of Allah. And the Valley of Allah is where the Philistines and the Israelites were fighting. And they stood on each side of the valley. And every day, this guy named Goliath would come down. And Goliath was a monster. And he would say, "Okay, I tell you what. I'll stand down here, and you send your best fighter down, and we'll fight. And whoever wins wins the whole battle, and that's all over with." And day by day, Goliath would stand there and say, "Send your best fighter down." And, Nobody in the Israelites would come down to fight Goliath because he was too big, he was too monstrous. And we stood in that valley. And there's this little stream there. It was dry that when we were there, but it used to roll through there. And we stood in that valley, and I just thought, man, what an amazing story was right here, fought right here. And David came to bring his brothers some food, and he said, what's going on? And they said, well, there's this guy, Goliath, he wants to fight us, but none of us want to go and fight him. And David said, why not? And he said, well, he's too big. David said, you don't understand. You guys are looking at the size of Goliath. And he said, I'll fight him. And they said, you can't fight him, he's too big. David said, he's not bigger than my God. He went down, he picked up five little stones out of that stream that we walked in. And Goliath looked at him. He said, What are you? You're just a dog. And it says he called down curses, and it says he despised David. And David said, I don't come against you with swords and spears. I've come against you in the name of my God because my God is bigger than you. And he defeated Goliath because he understood that he served a God of the impossible. And that two places reminded me of as I was studying through this passage and as this angel took Mary and when Mary asked that question, he wasn't upset with Mary in the question. He just said, Mary, there's something you need to understand. As I come to you today, you're asking a very logical, understandable question. But Mary, where I've just come from, where I have just descended from, I have been in the presence of the Almighty. And here's what you, Mary, need to understand. The God who sent me down here to you, you need to understand this about him. He is the Lord of the impossible. He's the Lord God Almighty. And nothing is impossible with him. Do you and I believe that this morning? You see, I'm at a stage in my life where I want to assemble and associate myself with a group of people who tangibly believe that is their very DNA, who say that we as a church family, we believe that there's this God, is the God of the impossible. If you're visiting here this morning, I want you to know that there is this God. He's he's in the scriptures. And over and over and over again, he kept on doing this kind of stuff where he's the God of the impossible, not just a logical, understandable, historical God, but every single day to this very day today, he's the God of the impossible. That's the kind of God that we actually serve today to this very day. He is alive and well, and he is the God of the impossible today. Not in the past, but today. Do you believe that? And that he knows your name and my name, just as he knew Mary's name? Because she was just a regular girl. And the angel came to her and he said, Nothing is impossible with God. And so, in my fourth observation, is this, Mary's story of expecting really begins with her declaration of servanthood. And the thing that that I don't know about is that from verse 37 to verse 38, I don't know what the time frame is between those two. You know, we read through this and we just kind of go, bada, 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 and we read through those verses one right after the other. But I wonder, in my imagination, if there's not some time between verse 37 and verse 38, Because the angel says to her, Mary, there's nothing impossible with God. And then we read right after that. Well, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. But I wonder if there wasn't a bit of hesitation between verse 37 and verse 38. I wonder after the angel made that statement and said, there's nothing impossible with God. I wonder if that point, all of a sudden, Mary doesn't go, hmm. And she shuffles off for a little bit. Because this is huge, life-changing news to Mary. This absolutely changes everything in her life. And I wonder if she doesn't, at that point in time, begin to process and re-go over the conversation that she's just had with the angel. And so Gabriel stays where Gabriel was, and he waits. And Mary says, And she just shuffles off for a few seconds. And she's thinking through and processing the conversations that she's had with the angel. And she, the last thing she's heard is, nothing is impossible with God, which is great. But she's thinking. I don't know. I can't prove it. But I wonder if there wasn't just a little bit of time in between verse 37 and 38. But I'm so glad that we get to verse 38. Because Mary finally does come back. And there's two parts to her response. And let's be clear that there are two distinct parts to her response. Because she comes back and she says, her declaration is, I'm the Lord's servant. That's part one, and that's great. And I think we all, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we should make that declaration on a day-by-day-by-day basis. We should wake up every single day and make that declaration, I'm the Lord's servant. But we also need to understand that there's a second part which is equally important. Because the second part, I think we may not like quite as much. The second part, Mary says, may it be to me as you have said. Because that's the life-changing part. That's the part where we say to God, if you want to mess with my life, you go ahead. If you want to do the unexpected, you go ahead. If you want to change the things in my life that I've ordered so nicely and neatly in my life, you go ahead. because that's what she's saying to God. Wow. Because she says, may it be to me as you have said. And she totally, completely surrenders every part of her life to God. And if you're visiting with us this morning and, and this is kind of new to you, you say, oh, I'm nowhere near that. That's fine. That's A-OK. And maybe you just want to come back and and check out more of this, and that's great. We would invite you to do that. You may not be ready to make that kind of a Mary statement, and that's just fine. We would gladly invite you to come back and continue to listen and walk and and journey until you're ready to make that kind of statement. But for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, I invite you to think through the Mary statement. And I'd invite you to say to God today, hey, Father, I want to be like Mary. I want to let you know crystal clear that I'm your servant. And whatever you want to do with my life, I invite you to do whatever you want to do because you are a good, good father. And I trust you completely, knowing that your plans are always the best. Always the best. Always the best because that's the kind of God that we serve. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the truth of this passage. I thank you for the example of Mary. I thank you, God, that it's a challenge to our hearts to get to that point when we say, Lord, I am your servant. May it be to me as you have said. And I thank you, Father, that you are a good God who is completely trustworthy, and that your plans are always the best. And so thank you for this challenge today, that in the expecting, and when you sometimes do the unexpected, we can trust you for it to be the best for us. For your honor and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.